Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we are going to be talking about using podcast as a marketing tool for wine. And we have a one returning guest and one new guest. Amanda McCrossin, the host of Wine Access Unfiltered, is a return guest. And AJ Resnick, the CMO of Wine Access, are joining us to talk cover this topic. Thanks for joining. Hope you guys uh, can help us get some insight into uh, using podcasts as a marketing tool. Welcome to the show. In terms of intro, why don't we start with you, AJ, since uh, I think some of our listeners will be pretty familiar with Amanda, and then we'll do a quick recap on Amanda's background. If you give us a brief background of your overview. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Big fan of podcasts. As you mentioned, CMO of Wine Access. I've been at Wine Access for six years. I've been in marketing since 2005, the very early days when um, people were still trying to figure out if they should use Google or Yahoo. So I've grown with the digital space. Podcast, I think, is an extension of the digital space. And we're excited to create great brand experiences for wine lovers across the world. And Amanda, maybe for the listeners who may not be familiar with you, you could give a brief overview of your background. Yeah, good to be back on the show, guys. I'm Amanda McCrossin. Well, I guess for the purposes of this podcast, I'm the host of the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast. But when I'm not doing that, I am a digital creator. So I'm a Somme Vivant on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, former wine director and sommelier at Press in Santa Lina, and just lover of all things content. So I love that we get to talk podcast on a podcast. Meta. Yeah, very, very meta. AJ, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Wine Access, do you think you could give them a brief overview of its history, its scope, its focus? Yeah, of course. Wine Access was actually launched in the late 90s, a digital wine company in the late 90s that started off really just with great content, writing descriptions of wines for different wine shops because we're actually hosting local wine shop websites back, honestly, when no one was actually buying the wine online. And that's actually still very much who we are today. In 2004, we started offering wine on our platform for people to purchase. And we've always done it by telling the story behind each bottle and opening up the world of wine to people. You know, I think back in 2004, it was a lot more difficult to find great wine on the local shelf. Luckily, between podcasts, between social media, all the different stores out there, different restaurant menus, people have more access to know what's great. But for us, still very much what we do is we curate wines. We've got a best in the business wine team, if you ask me. Master sommelier, Sir Lucero, who 14th Crew Cup recipient, Eduardo Dingler, Laura Koffer, they've really run some of the best wine programs in the world. And they go out and they have deep, deep relationships, you know, like I always make fun of Eduardo for being the mayor of Napa Valley, right? Where they're unlocking these great wines from Napa, but also Napa is a wine community. It's not just Napa Valley. So they're exposed to such great wine that they're just so excited to bring to our customers. So they go out, they source the wine. We tell the story that makes that wine special. We actually profile every single wine that we offer. It's got to be approved by everyone on the platform. Every little data point you can imagine from acidity to oak, we taste every wine. And if we think it's great, we bring it forward and tell the story that makes that bottle special. There's a lot of really special stories to be told in the world of wine, be it wines that are up and coming, like regions from Mexico, or some of the wines that have great histories, like Chateau Margaux. We just did a great six-bottle set direct from their cellar. So that's very much the core of what we do, content, curation, 
great customer service that's been called better than Nordstrom, which we're really proud of. And then increasingly and ironically, technology continues to be a core piece of what we do. So if you think back to 25 years ago when we were hosting websites, right now we're curating wines and running wine clubs for brands like the Michelin Guide, where we partner with a different Michelin-starred restaurant for every shipment, Sunset Magazine, Decanter Magazine. And in a true evolution, we're excited this week, actually, and I'm speaking today on October 23rd, we're launching the Williams Sonoma Wine Club, where we're actually powering their technology white-labeled on their website. So that's going to be an extension of what we do. I knew that was coming. My friend is actually the buyer there. <laughs> my uh, preschool friend, my kids, they're in the same preschool class. With uh, Sam? Uh-huh. Uh, she's awesome. Networking through the preschool parents group. That's, uh, <laughs> that's getting that insider information. Uh, <laughs> so in 2020, you launched One Access Unfiltered, a podcast. What was the ethos of that? What was the purpose, vision, strategy behind starting a podcast? as it relates to wine access. Yeah, you know, so my background, I spent close to 20 years at this point in media, and I understand paid media very well. So we had done a bunch of podcast buys, and we had seen success with other podcasts. So we knew it's a medium that our target audience would engage with. And at that point, we were like, okay, is it better to just continue paying to be on other podcasts? And or, you know, should we go ahead and start our own podcast? and create the kind of content and build that brand relationship because our goal is to be a loved wine brand, right? Like everything we do is about the white glove service of creating content. And for the past 20 years, we've written a story about each wine. For wine clubs, we create video content and you know, content really being the red thread. We said, hey, let's create a podcast. So we had started talking about the podcast back in 19. Everyone knows what happened in 2020. So even though behavioral trends sort of changed, where people weren't commuting to work and listening to podcasts, still decided to launch it and wanted to continue building relationships with our customers, especially at a pretty transitional, really unique point in time. What is the format of the podcast for any of our listeners that may not be familiar with it? It's evolved. We had season one and season two. Look out for season three, which we're still concepting. But in season one, it was really about doing what was relevant and current. And at that time, if you recall, all of these celebrities and athletes who were you know, sort of previously out and about all of the time were home and they were hopping on social media and hopping on podcasts. And for us, the podcast has always been a place where we just want to connect with people and bring new wine lovers in, in a different medium. So we took advantage of what was happening in the world and we said, hey, let's tap into individual personalities who we can get to the program, who love wine, and talk about the amazing stories. And we've heard some awesome stories, right? Like wine is one of those things that I think some people talk about could be a little pretentious, but like really sort of the opposite, like it brings people together. So it was great hearing some of the stories from these quote unquote celebrities and the moments that they've had over wine that have turned them into who they are. And that was really, really special. And I think it was, again, like a very unique moment in time where you could get someone like Bert Kreischer to join the podcast and like cry, thinking back to this amazing memory he had over wine. Amanda could probably speak to it, but like, I don't think that when we had that podcast that you expected that to happen. I for sure did not expect that to happen. <laughs> there are a lot of things I didn't expect to happen in that show, but yeah, I mean, I think to echo AJ's point, I had been working at press when we started sort of concepting this show for about five years and 
one of the really amazing things that I had seen at the restaurant was people who came to Napa Valley, regardless of who they were in life, always just seemed to have their guard down when they had a bottle of wine in front of them and when they were in the valley. And all of a sudden, this conversation about wine or around wine just became this very normal thing. And so when AJ and I started talking about doing a podcast, we were like, well, it feels like the barrier is already brought down by having this wine in front of us. What if we just brought people into these conversations that I was already having with other celebrities at the restaurant that were coming in? What if we threw a mic in front of them and to see what happened. And so that was sort of the concept for the first season. And it was great. I think we had so much fun. And as AJ said, we just really did not expect some of the conversations that came out of that show. But then for season two, we were like, well, how can we continue this show without it being this sort of interview podcast, which I think is great. And maybe, you know, we'll sort of revert back to that. How can we offer more of a value add in every show? And we got a lot of feedback from people that were asking about different regions and traveling and certain styles. And so sort of leaping off of this idea that Wine Access is first and foremost retail, but also a content platform, we decided to pivot with season two to make it more thematic and to give people insight into conversations that we were having amongst ourselves in the wine community and externally as well. And turned it into a wine club. Oh yeah, that true. (laughs) Because the number one question we got was, I want the wine, right? Like, where do I get the wine? And oftentimes, like, it would sell out. So we wanted to make sure we locked in these great allocations for the listeners so that they could drink along and really experience it with us. Yeah, that was a huge piece of feedback and a huge piece of why we pivoted for season two because every single episode we were getting people asking, hey, where can we get the wine? And a lot of times, because these are such limited wines that we were drinking, we wouldn't be able to offer it to them until, you know, it came back a year later. So when we started concepting for season two, we knew that there had to be a wine component in which people could drink with us on the show because that was ultimately what people were wanting to do. They were wanting to listen and drink and for it to be this sort of like full 360 experience. Did it change maybe a little bit in terms of what wine, like especially if originally people were like targeting wine that was like a spiritual moment for them and then you're like, but I have to actually be one that's available for people to be able to get. Did that change the narrative a little bit? I mean, kind of, but like I think we were drinking different wines for sure in season one, but I mean, we weren't drinking these bottles that were inaccessible, right? They were just limited access. So it wasn't like the wine was so revelatory that these people were having these moments that they were, you know, they ended up crying. It really was just, it could have been any bottle of wine. And so, yeah, it was about the conversation. And I think it was about the fact that we were talking around wine and not about wine. And then, you know, wine would sort of just infiltrate the conversation very naturally and organically. Obviously, when we looked at season two and brought wine to the fold, yeah, I mean, you're not going to be able to like include Masetto and like a 2010 Larkmead Solari. Like it's just not possible. So we had to pivot in that way. But I think we've also had a lot of fun finding really meaningful choices, not only around the themes, but around our guests and around myself, because this is ultimately a show that I host. And since season one, I've been able to travel significantly more and have more experiences myself, including with you, Robert. I mean, we got to record an episode in Mendoza and Argentina together, which I thought was really fun. And there's so much great wine in the world as well, right? And it's like, as people in the wine industry, I think like we're just lucky. I mean, I've been in it six years and I am drinking just so much better than I've ever been able to drink in the past. And it's not at a high price point. Most of what I drink is under 30 bucks. And I think that the one joke that we sort of had was every one would come on this podcast and there was, you know, three or four brands that without fail, everyone would say that they drink. And it's not because like that was the best brand in the world. I mean, it's great. That's what people know. So part of what we're looking to do is actually make wine accessible. That's part of what wine access does. 
We hear from a lot of our members who have been with us for over 15 years who talk about some of their favorite things to do is pop a bottle for their friends and say, how much do you think this is? Sort of brag about how much they spent versus how much it sort of drinks like. You know, so that's a big piece of why we wanted to come in at a pretty accessible price point as well. And so for the podcast, I guess I have this question in like the target audience. Who did you think the target audience was? And now after doing it for a couple seasons now, who do you know the target audience is? Well, as you, I mean, you guys have a podcast, so you know the metrics and insights. They're very limited in the podcast space. So what we're really able to see is the feedback that we get from either emails or reviews directly on the podcast platforms or one of the things that I was really adamant about that a few people fought me on, not AJ, but a few people fought me on, was having an Instagram and a YouTube channel associated with the podcast because I wanted to be able to connect with our audience in a more direct way and also have a little bit of insight. I think going into it, we assumed that the audience would be pretty similar to the Wine Access audience already. So curious drinkers, pretty savvy, but not super geeky. And I think at least what I found from the DMs, and like I said, this is not going to be a perfect mirror of who our audience is, but I've actually found the audience to be, to skew a little younger and a little bit less savvy. You know, we're pulling from a lot of areas and I, I don't mean less savvy in a negative way. I think they're just, they're so curious and they're so new and they're eager for any opportunity to listen to people talk about wine that this podcast has really become for them a place where they can go in to feel comfortable learning without having to interact with someone. And they sort of get to be flies in the wall with these wine conversations. Because I think when I was coming up in wine, and you guys can probably echo the same sentiment, I think for me, I just wanted to absorb so much without having to necessarily be part of the conversation. And so I found that the people that are responding the most are sort of in that camp. Like they're just curious, they're hungry, I guess they're thirsty in this capacity and they want to drink more wine. So that's what I found at least. And AJ, I know you guys get a little bit of feedback via like the wine access customer service gets all of the feedback. Would you echo the same thing? Of course. And for us, it's always about our members as well and making sure that we could continue to connect with them in different ways. And, you know, this is just another way to learn about wine in a fun, entertaining way, you know, which is very much what we do every day with every wine we offer. Obviously selling wine, you're doing it domestically. It was maybe a chance for you to have some international connections as well, because one thing we're always surprised by is how many people from around the world kind of listen to our podcast. Obviously, it's in English as well, because we get that geographic data, but you don't necessarily get gender or age or anything like that. And so it's always interesting to see like, oh, there's a whole bunch of people in Singapore and Hong Kong and in Australia listening to our podcast. Like for you guys, it would be a problem because if you're also trying to like connect them with wines that are available to purchase or have that full benefit, statistics like that always kind of like, surprise you when you see stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I saw us hit some like top 50 or top 10, like food and wine in like other country. And I was like, dude, that's dope. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like not what we expected, sort of to your point, like they can't buy wine from us, but that's the ultimate compliment. Like it's not really a sales channel. I think it's a way to build relationships with people and help more than anything, get people excited about wine in um, a day and age where, all these rumors about younger generations not loving wine and all that stuff. We have customers who are 21 who are buying wine from us. We have customers who are 101, no joke, you know, like who are buying wine from us. And that's the goal is just to get people excited. Yeah. So in terms of uh, scale, so you guys have started this in fall 2020. 
How frequently are you releasing episodes? Yeah, we're releasing every other week, every other Thursday. We took a little bit of a hiatus after season one to regroup and restructure some things. And then we came back. And so we've been going with season two now for, I think, over a year. We just hit a year. And we're, we're still trying to concept season three. AJ and I have been kind of ping-ponging messages, thinking about what we're going to do. But I suspect we'll take another little... Well, I don't know. We may not take a mini break now because we've got the wine club and there's really no reason to. So I don't know. I don't want to speak out of turn, but that was the format. And so usually in terms of length, the show runs anywhere from about 45 minutes to an hour. We do use an editor, so it is cut down a little bit if it's too lengthy, but we're also not afraid of a long form podcast. And we found that looking at the numbers, some of our longest podcasts are actually the most successful. So I don't necessarily measure... If the show is great at an hour, great. If the show is great at 45 minutes, great. If it needs to be longer, also great. I'm not really worried about it. And how big is the listenership, I guess, in terms of podcasts, be total number of downloads? Like, is there a range that you guys feel comfortable sharing? Well, on Instagram, I know we've got over 10,000 followers. On YouTube, we are over 300, which I think, you know, y'all know how hard it is to build a YouTube listenership or viewership. It's hard to say in terms of how many subscribers we have. I know that our numbers have increased pretty exponentially. I mean, in terms of like the snowball effect, you know, we started with, AJ, can I say a few hundred? Yeah, maybe even a bit more. Well, our very first episode, I think I was super pumped to see like a couple hundred people listened. And then from there, I think we've more than 10x that since we started. Yeah, you know, I mean, so to me, it just feels good knowing that we've got like over 100,000 downloads today, you know, which is pretty special, you know, for a podcast that's out there talking about wine. <laughs> it's good. And I will say that listenership continues to grow week over week. And I think the other interesting thing that you guys probably have seen with your show as well is that as we get new listeners, I can see the numbers from previous episodes continuing to increase with what looks like that subscribership increasing. So this content really is pretty evergreen and it just keeps cascading and cascading. And so that's one of the beauties about podcasting is that once people find a show that they really like and that resonates with them, they go back and they listen to these other episodes. So they don't just die once they're released and they're out for 24 to 48 hours. Like people really do go back. And I've seen a resurgence with several episodes in which we had like Christy Brinkley's episode, for example. I don't know if she was like in the press or something, but all of a sudden the numbers just totally spiked for her episode a couple months ago. And I was like, I don't know what's happening, but this is great. So it's been nice to see not only what looks like the subscribership increase, but also just the general listens compounding as well. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about podcasts is that people definitely binge kind of like they do a Netflix series, but the amount that they listen to versus like, you know how it is on YouTube, right? It's like people fall off fairly quickly because there's other things going on. But usually if you have them in a car or on a jog or whatever, they're listening to you, you pretty much have their attention almost exclusively. And it's quite interesting to see how long people listen to the podcast. Yeah, that captive audience is huge. And it's one that you're absolutely right in saying that, Robert, because it's one of the few places as content creators that we really truly have someone for a long period of time. And that's very, very valuable. So you mentioned you started season one with celebrities. As a new podcast, how did you get the celebrities to want to show up on your interview? Do you want to come drink wine with us? <laughs> <laughs> You're bored at home during COVID, like want some wine. Yeah. We kind of got lucky with our timing. It's that easy, huh? <laughs> it was honestly like, I hate to say it that simple, you know, it's like you just sort of tap into relationships. You know, people who know people and made a couple of phone calls. I love the Baxter Holmes episode and Amanda met him at press, I believe. We had this other great story. We had Nomar Garcia Barra, the baseball player. 
he was telling a story about this great psalm that he had at press. And it's like, Amanda's like, well, that was me. <laughs> so like, it really is a small world when it comes to wine and the great wine experiences. So people who love wine love to talk about wine. You know, so we just sort of started calling around. It was a lot of asking. It was a lot of cold calling. We did work with some producers who helped us as well and had a few relationships. It really truly was like, hey, I used to work with this guy a million years ago. He knows this guy. Like, I remember being up late one night and we got a text and it was like, hey, my friend thinks he knows Bert Kreischer is manager. So we put a feeler out to him to see if Bert Kreischer and like literally the next day it was booked. I mean, like literally that's how it happened. Steve Byrne was another great example of like, I had gone to the comedy store in LA years ago and seen Steve Byrne at the show. He had heckled our group. And so I sent him a DM after and I was like, that was so much fun. You were so great, whatever. So we never communicated after that. And I just told AJ one day, I was like, I think I'm just going to like slide into Steve Byrne's DMs and like see what happens. And so I did. And I was like, hey, any interest in like coming to drink wine? And he had just launched a new podcast, moved to Nashville. And so he saw it as an opportunity to get in front of a new audience and drink some wine. So we had him on the show Vince Vaughn called in while we were on the phone with him. And then he was like, oh, you should also meet my buddy, Peter. He was the guy that was Ralphie in A Christmas Story. So that's how we got Peter in the show. So there was just a lot of like friends of friends of friends that would connect us and make these links. And then I think sometimes we undervalue or underestimate the power of wine just as like this backdoor entity. I think one of the things that I realized very early on in my career was that it was being in the wine industry really exposes you to people in a way that nothing else does because it breaks down these barriers. And so people are very curious about wine and we had a lot more yeses than nos and that was pretty awesome. But uh, I mean, you know, you kind of like tail between your legs, make the phone call or send the DM or like send the email to be like, hey, I know you don't know me. But I also come from like a theater background where like this is very normal behavior. So I guess I was kind of okay with that too. If I've learned anything, you're not scared of a cold call. I'm not scared of a cold call. (laughs) (laughs) Having these celebrities was pretty effective in getting listeners. Like, did you see people with a bigger following have more listeners in some of the episodes? Sometimes. Interestingly, not always. So like I found, which I think is also true with like social media in general, the biggest celebrities are never going to get you the biggest push. And no disrespect to John Legend, I think he's great. But like the John Legend episode really did not bring us a new audience. The Burt Kreischer episode, and not that Burt's not huge and popular, but he's not, you know, at a level of John Legend. The Burt Kreischer episode was definitely a very pivotal moment. And I know we brought this up a lot, but, and again, I think going back to this, like this idea that wine breaks down barriers, I forget how it happened, but Burt Kreischer, like either text me, like that night was like, hey, thanks so much for having me on. And then like two days later, I'm sitting at the kitchen table, literally just like on Instagram and my phone pops up and it's like, Bert Kreischer is trying to FaceTime you. And so he FaceTime me and I pick up and I'm like, what the, like I thought my sister had like reprogrammed my phone or something. And it's literally Bert Kreischer and he goes, hey, it's Bert, you're on the Two Bears, One Cave show with Tom Segura. And so we just had this like three minute exchange. And from that three minute exchange of me being on that podcast and that clip we got so many more followers and people who knew about the show and were asking the comments, what is the show? Because he talked about, he goes, oh, I cried on this wine show. So people were looking for the show. So, I mean, again, like I think some of the celebrities definitely gave us a bump, but also what we wanted it to do was not necessarily give us a fake bump. We wanted it to reach these concentric circles of curious wine drinkers that maybe were also interested in sports or maybe were also interested in music or art or 
fashion. We wanted to reach different audiences and we wanted those people to feel like they were listening to a conversation with their friend, not to wine people. And so that was really the other biggest impetuses for bringing celebrities in. It wasn't just their audience. It was to make people feel comfortable listening. Wine is so special, right? Like if you think about wine, it's so global. And all it takes is one podcast episode for a celebrity that someone likes to listen to it, get interested, and then like it opens up the entire world, right? You start to learn about history. You start to learn about farming. So that was very much the goal for us was to try to get people excited about wine and the medium for us doing it was having folks who other people gravitated towards who were able to join the show and talk about the impact that wines had on their life. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily the fact that it was celebrities. I mean, that definitely helped, but it was just this idea that all people drink wine, not just wine people. And I think that's been a sort of a fail in the wine community for a long time is that we've kept this little narrow circle of just talking to each other instead of talking outside of it and looking to other industries like sports, like fashion, like beauty, health, fitness, and talking to those people, music. I mean, all of these people drink wine. Taylor Swift walked out of the final night of her heiress tour with a glass of Sancerre in her hand. I mean, people are drinking wine that are not in the wine industry, so we should be talking to them and bringing them into the fold and making it more comfortable for people to feel like they can have a conversation about wine without having to be in the industry. I want to see the Amanda McCross and Cold Cold Taylor Swift. <laughs> exactly. Well, she's a Philly girl, you know. <laughs> we talked a little bit about the season two pivot because it definitely seemed like the content changed a little bit in terms of a little bit more educational. Now, the main ethos there was our listeners want to drink along with us. And so that whole season was based around that. I guess my question is like, how did that turn out? Like in terms of you had this pivot did it work out the way you were expecting it to in terms of building up that club and getting the feedback? Were people quite happy with that? What was the feedback you received on season two? It was great. Looking at the numbers, people were really excited about topics that we had touched on in season one. And the fact that we were able to fall a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole, having already established that we're not a podcast about wine. We're a wine podcast that has conversations around wine and with wine. I think that people kind of went into it knowing that we were never going to talk over their heads, but they weren't going to leave without having some sort of value add. So yeah, the feedback's been great. We've still been able to loop in people from outside of the industry while still talking about other topics. So we've sort of been threading that needle a little bit of making sure that we're still staying true to season one, but also bringing these other aspects of value as the people so desperately wanted, according to the feedback in the DMs and the comments and the reviews that we were getting. So I would say we'll just continue. I think the idea for season three is just to continue building on what's already been successful and just give people more of what they're looking for without losing what we are at our core. Because I think if there's anything that I've learned in content creation, you know, you can listen to feedback all you want and feedback's great. And I think there's room for iteration, but at the end of the day, like this is our podcast, this is our show. And so we have to at least stay true to what we think needs to be done. <laughs> You're right. And in Q3 alone, right. You know, so as mentioned earlier, we've got wine clubs with Sunset Magazine with the Michelin Guide. The Michelin Guide shipment in Q3 was with Joel Robichon. Like it doesn't really get bigger than that in food. And We've got our own wine clubs as well. So we've been named top wine club by New York Times Wirecutter. Out of every wine club in Q3, Wine Access Unfiltered actually attracted the most new number of wine club members. 
So it's working. Right. That's great that you have that kind of wider view of different wine clubs that do a sort of a comparison. And so based on the change in season two, did you see larger growth than you were expecting with that change since you've answered their calls to provide some drink along ability? We still do have guests. You know, I mean, we've got to pat ourselves on the back a little bit because we don't want to just cut people off and say, hey, this entire experience is different. We wanted to be able to sort of mix it up a little bit as well. So we've got stuff that's very educational. And at the same time, you know, we've had some amazing guests this season and different types of guests. So our last episode, we had Elizabeth Schneider on of Wine for Normal People, unbelievable podcast. A few episodes ago, we had Danica Patrick on. We had Molly Green, the head of the beverage program over at Cezanne in San Francisco, two Michelin stars. We've just had, you know, some great guests and even if they're not celebrities, the depth of knowledge. We did a chef series with four different Michelin starred chefs. By the way, trying to schedule that. Don't do a podcast around <laughs> chefs. The worst idea you can have. We love our chefs. Our Michelin chefs are amazing, but they have crazy schedules. I'm just going to throw that out there. Sam from EMP, 11 Medicine Park. We had um, CJ McCollum, the basketball player. We had a couple great winemakers. Dan Petrosky of Masakan. Louisa Ponzi of Ponzi. Nia Renee Hill. Nia Renee Hill, right? So we've got some great guests, and um, they all have such different perspectives. I mean, this year especially, such depth of knowledge in wine. It's been awesome. I think one of the things we also wanted to do was just showcase that, like, all of the questions that people have, like, celebrities, they're just like us. All of the questions that you have at home around wine, like, we all have them, right? This is, like, we are trying to basically just show that like Nia may be like this, she's Bill Burr's wife, if anybody doesn't know her, but like she came on that show and she was like, I have questions about everything. And so we just like went through and like had this conversation that so many of us have had at the dinner table with like our cousins or aunts or our friends who were like, I've always wanted to know. That's kind of what the show has become, right? We just make it a little bit more thematic around, is it holiday entertaining? Is it Mendoza? Is it traveling to Italy. And so we've sort of brought people into the fold and made them feel comfortable asking questions as well. It's a Ask Amanda About Wine podcast. Yeah, it's an <laughs> AMA now, right? <laughs> so, you know, you launched the Wine Club with the podcast. How do you think about the overall return on investment for making the podcast? It's a great question. Let's uh, make sure my CEO does not listen to this episode and start asking that question. You know, but honestly, <laughs> like our goal is to be the most loved wine company. And I think that this is just part of it, part of what we plan for. Having the wine club helps cover the cost. And if we're not losing money, that's great. And if our members could learn more about wine and explore different types of wine, and we could bring some new folks into the fold, which we've done, it's a success. So I am like the ultimate like data-driven, metric-driven marketer. But I also understand that there's just stuff that you can't measure. And while a lot of this is measurable, and we've done a good job of you know measuring it and showing the ROI on it, it's really about, like, is this who we are as a brand? And we are this, very much, like, all about creating content. And so do you see a lot of the value being in building the Wine Access brand versus any sales? For sure. And I think the positive feedback that we receive from our members and just being able to connect with our members in different ways. A lot of what we do is the written word. So you can read it on your phone, you can read it on your computer. You know, we've got great YouTube videos, especially with our wine club you got to be in front of a computer. This is a great opportunity to connect with them in different places. When they're driving to work, when they're taking a road trip, when they're taking a jog, right? It's just like a different 
way in a different place to connect with people. I think from like a logistics standpoint, a lot of the things that I hear from wineries and brands are like, you know, we want to put out content. We just don't know how, and we don't know how to curate that. And so I think this serves a purpose, correct me if I'm wrong, AJ, for you guys as well, in that like, yeah, it's branding and yeah, there's an ROI component to it in regards to the wine club, but also like, this is a great way for you guys to be able to create content. Like there's so much evergreen content that we've gotten out of the show, especially because we don't just record audio, we record video as well. And so a lot of these episodes have been clipped and they've been able to share that not only on the unfiltered Instagram, but also in the wine access Instagram. So just from like a, and if you're thinking about where the costs are, like there's a cost to create content, but that's sort of built in when you're using it for other purposes like wine access is. Obviously, you talked about the wine club already because you guys don't really telegraph which wines you're drinking. Like if you want to listen along and drink along while listening, you pretty much, the club is the most efficient and easiest way to get access to those wines, right? Yeah, the club is four wines, which corresponds with four episodes. And so when the box arrives, it arrives at least a few days, if not more, before that episode is slated to come out. So they'll have four wines for the next two months over the course of those next four episodes. So yes, unless you're a member of the wine club, we do want to keep that a little bit of a secret and that surprise and delight moment of like unboxing your ship and to see what's inside. That said, like I do put out content. So when these boxes arrive, so if someone wanted to potentially find those wines, they probably could, but I will also say that a lot of the wines that we select are specific to Wine Club. And so they're not always available because it was in a limited allocation directly for the amount of people that we have in the club. So it's not impossible, but it's also much easier if you're a member of the club. And some of them we only got because we have the Wine Club. For example, we had 11 Madison Park on and he got to choose a wine and he just knew what he wanted instantly. He was like, I want Masakan. And it's no easy feat to call Dan up and ask for like a special bottle of Masakan and to get it in the quantities that we need it. So that definitely unlocked an allocation there that we wouldn't have been able to get. Which Vanessa and I were still very angry about because I felt like if we would have called, we would have gotten a maybe. But Gabrielle called and he was like, yes, no problem. Just kidding. We love you, Dan. <laughs> I'm sure he would have said yes to you as well. I'm sure he would have. In terms of growth, though, like just even what you just said, like planning for that and the growth of the podcast, assuming the podcast keeps growing, at a certain point, getting special bottles of wine for hundreds or thousands of bottles, like allocated, like it becomes a challenge potentially to kind of line that up. And so how do you see that going forward as you start to think about season three to make sure that you can keep your listeners and your members happy? I mean, in terms of planning, I'll start there. I mean, let's see, we are planned out through, it's October. So we're planned out through February or March of next year in terms of what the content is going to sort of look like. And then as well as starting that selection process, because to your point, we're talking about an allocation for wine clubs. So it's not a ridiculous quantity, but it's not a super small quantity. But I will say the wine access team is amazing to work with. And there are a lot of conversations that I have with them where I'm like, here's what I'm looking for. I don't know if it's possible. And then like a week later, they're like, hey, I found this producer. What do you think? And I'm like, how did you get that? That's amazing. So we've been lucky so far. AJ, I'll, I'll let you take it. I don't know, maybe you have a plan in the future, but I don't know. Yeah, well, start by saying there's enough great wine to include in the shipment and you know, still be very proud of what we're putting out. On top of that, there's going to be small allocations that we're going to be able to get that we could offer exclusively to unfiltered members. We do that every so often for our clubs where we've got some exclusives. We're talking about maybe making some um, custom labels, you know, with some winemakers as well for the program. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity. And when we offer those smaller allocations, 
and you know, sorry to market wine access, but one thing I really like about our wine clubs is it's really the beginning of your ability to fill up a case. So with Unfiltered, you get your four bottles and you get an email saying, hey, your order has been placed. It's going to be shipping out. It includes shipping. If I wanted to go in and add a bottle to that shipment, like I've already paid for shipping. So I could say, hey, one bottle, eight bottles. And it really gives me the ability to build a case and get wine. And you know, I think that the future of Wine Club is very much, hey, here's like a special small allocation that people could opt into or not opt into and add it to their shipment. So it's definitely top of mind as a wine company who sources limited production wines, regardless of where we're sourcing them from, especially Michelin, right? If you think about the Michelin Guide Wine Club, oftentimes we're working with restaurants who get like one case of a particular wine for the year for their restaurant. So I think we've done a good job of figuring out how to strike that balance of getting just kick-ass wines in the shipment, but also giving them the ability to get access to smaller allocations that they could add to their shipment. And that's something you're doing already today or something you're planning on doing? We've actively started working on it, yeah. And are there other benefits that Wine Club members who are listening to the podcast will get as well? I mean... They sure do, Robert. Thank you for asking. I'm just kidding. Yeah, so we make it very easy for people to join the Wine Club. And I have to say, like, as someone that was vehemently against Wine Clubs for a very long time, because I felt like a lot of the Wine Clubs out there, I mean, and we're talking like years ago, I felt like to be able to do a wine club at this caliber and then to also connect it with content is something that I'm really excited about. But yeah, in terms of like all of the other benefits, in addition to the great wine and the podcast, free podcast that they get along with it, they get 10% off all of their purchases on Wine Access. And like AJ said, the prices, including shipping, it's shipped six times per year every other month. It's four wines. And then, as I said before, it's curated by myself and with a wine club team. Did I miss any of the other benefits? Did you say videos? Like this is the thing with like, when you wrap this up with content, like when you do have the podcast and you have all these other things, like there's so many other things that I forget about. I do videos on all of the wines. So I do tasting videos that are specific to the wines that live in our YouTube channel. And then, of course, all of the podcasts are released not only in audio form, but also in video form. The 10% off all of the wine access purchases, it in, the price includes shipping, which these days is huge. And yeah, you're part of a club. Who doesn't want to be part of a club? As a company-sponsored podcast, does that mean that you guys are not open to taking advertising for something else if the podcast keeps growing? I've got a six-year-old daughter who just complains about how much she hates ads every time she's watching YouTube. You can pay to make those go away, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know, you know. Honestly, to us, it's not really about the money. It's about the experience, and people don't always love ads. I hate to say it. So for us, it's about creating a world-class experience, putting our best foot forward with every episode we create and like no knock on ads, but you know, the benefit of us being a branded podcast is we have the resources to be able to not have to worry about selling advertising. So flipping that on the other side though, you originally said that you were doing ad buys on podcast. Are you guys still doing that for wine access? A little bit here or there. Yeah. Only because I think like who wouldn't want to get a wine access ad, right? That's a great ad. <laughs> not biased at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Great values, great wines. Yeah. Sign me up. You guys usually... What I've heard them, they're usually like ad reads within the show. They're not like pre-recorded role or anything like that. Like they're actually pretty well integrated. So I've always enjoyed when I hear them. There's definitely a way to do advertising. I think like Gimlet as a great example who, you know, pioneered that like 
really embedded in a way that you actually care about that's related to the topic or the genre that you're listening to. And um, we've dabbled a little bit with ads as well, and but we want to make them like meaningful to our listeners. There are fun ads out there. I'm honestly just joking around. I mean, you know, it's like for us, we're a branded podcast, so like we just don't have ads. And so how do you think about Wine Access Unfiltered in context of your whole marketing program and your marketing stack? Yeah, I mean, for us, you know, we see it as just a, another way to connect with members, another way to bring potential new wine lovers into the fold, either folks who like love wine and just want to geek out and listen to wine podcasts, or like a big piece of it was just entertainment. And I've spoken with so many of our members through the years who like, hey, I don't actually remember how I heard about wine access. Like at the time I was like just getting into wine and now they're like wine experts. And that's very much what we're looking to do. And that's how it fits into the plan of just ways to pull people in who we could take on a journey, who we could show them and open up with the world of wine. And make it easy for them because we allow them to drink the wine on the show as well. So I think it's interesting. Before I got into podcasting, I didn't really know how big a lift it was. I'm not sure that I ever would have done it without wide access there, knowing what I know now. And even before then, I knew it was hard. But I will say that like it's a big lift, but the reward has definitely felt there, at least from my end. And I feel like there's so many times when I'm out and talking to people, like I was at Aspen Food and Wine and there was a family sitting in the front row and they came to all of my seminars and they came up after and they're like, we are all like literally mom, dad, brother, the whole family. We are all such big fans of Wine Access Unfiltered podcast. And I was like, you're kidding me because we don't get to hear from everybody all the time, right? Like this is amazing. But the amount of times that that happens is, is, still surprising to me, but it also like makes all of this work that we put into it because it's not easy. I think for anyone thinking about doing a podcast and thinking like just a couple of mics, you get on, call it a day. Like it is that simple in theory, but in practice, like podcasting is very difficult. But the reward, I think from my standpoint, and obviously I'm not the CMO or a CEO of a company that has to look at the finances, but from my aspect, my perspective, I have seen the reward be there. And it's been really gratifying when people come up and they it's become such a beloved thing. And then from there, they're buying wines from Wine Access and sort of, even though I don't technically work for Wine Access, um, have you know become part of this family that Wine Access trusts and also that my clients trust as well. I remember early days you told me about you were mailing out actual the microphones to the celebrities. I could just imagine you being like tech support for like Tiki Barber. Like Tiki, got to plug it into the... <laughs> Tiki was the easiest. Some of the, I'm not going to throw anybody out into the cold on this one, but like, I mean, we had some people that were very unfamiliar with technology that like literally had to have their assistants come and set things up. And yeah, I mean, we have definitely pivoted in terms of like that because I think just one from a logistics standpoint, like sending microphones is a lot. It's also really expensive and it's also like not environmentally friendly. So like (laughs) we've done our best, especially as like the recording software has gotten so good to just make sure that like people are working with what they have. And I know you guys sort of operate the same way. And honestly, like less friction is better. You know, maybe we lose 20% of the quality, but like in the end, less friction is better. I think it makes for a more seamless conversation. And I think the reward is there just as much as if they would have had the perfect microphone for it. Just to sort of hit the content itself, outside of Wine Access Unfiltered, we have members who a year will go by and will reach out and say, hey, we see that you're reading every email, but you haven't purchased. Like, is there something that we're not offering? Is there anything we could get for you? And you hear stories of people, hey, like I got sick, I got cancer, something along those lines. I can't drink anymore, but this is like what I look forward to every morning, right? Like wine is such 
again, it, it's not just about what's in the glass. It's everything that sort of went into putting that wine in the glass. And it's like such a passion for people that we could bring joy to people's lives through creating content. And not everyone wants to read, especially these days. We're really hoping that we could continue to build that same loyal following. Clearly don't want people to get sick, you know, but people who just really care about consuming the content, regardless of whether or not they're consuming the wine. Wine Access wants fans for life, and it's something that drew me to them initially. And I think the ethos of the podcast really speaks to that. And we'll continue keeping that in mind as we move into season three, just, you know, this idea that like, we want this to be for everyone, regardless of what stage you're at in your life. And even if you can't pick up a glass and have it with us, like you can at least be part of the conversation. That's a great segue into how do you see the direction evolving for the One Access podcast over time now that as you start to think about season three and future plans? That the world could use a laugh right now. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Only comedians. (laughs) Yes, we have spoken about that. Calling all comedians. I would love to be able to lock that in. Yeah, if we could get great comedians who would be able to commit to our cadence of every two weeks, we think that would be one hell of a season. Yeah, I mean, because comedians are in so many different capacities anymore. I mean, they're not just stand-ups. Like we see comedians on TikTok and Instagram and doing so many other things that we wouldn't necessarily think of when we think of comedian, but they're out there. And so I think that has legitimately been one of the conversations that we've had is like, what if it were just all comedians? Because to AJ's point, I think the world could use a laugh. And I think that wine is a perfect way to do that. So I won't say that's definitely what we're doing for season three, but it's an idea that we've entertained and you know, one of the things that influenced us for season two was a lot of the feedback that we got. So if there's any crossover listeners or new listeners that would want, you know, something new for season three, we welcome the feedback for sure. Just knowing that like, at the end of the day, this is about making people feel comfortable. That's all we want. As cliche as it is, we want wine to be accessible and wine doesn't have to be in your glass for that to happen. It's a feeling, it's a moment, it's a thought. There's wine everywhere and we all think about it in different ways. So why not comedians? Ali Wong is coming to San Francisco in December. <laughs> oh, I love Ali Wong. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. I think also just like AJ and I are huge comedy and Joe Fish, the CEO, we're huge comedy nerds. So this is a selfish engagement on our part too. As a marketer, what problem we're trying to solve? You know, what can we do to create content that's going to solve problems for people? Be it, hey, confusion about stuff like natural wine or organic wine, right? Like what can we do? And that's top of mind. Just like for me, any way we could figure out how to get Dave Grohl onto the program, <laughs> that's going to be a season three. We have a wish list going. Uh, we've actually crossed a few off, which has been kind of cool. Hopefully, as we keep growing, we'll continue moving down that list. What do you guys think about uh, the future of podcasts in general and where podcasts are going outside of you know Wine Access Unfiltered or Wine Podcast? It feels like they're growing in terms of like the amount of podcasts that are out there, but I think like anything, cream rises to the top and... It's not just having a good podcast. It's also having stamina. I mean, it is it is a marathon, right? Most podcasts, I think, fizzle out after five episodes, I think, is the metric for that. So in terms of like, there will always be new podcasts and there will always be more people listening to podcasts or maybe not always. But I certainly think that one of the things that's sort of changed the game a little bit is Spotify. I think Spotify has brought new energy to the podcast space. I, for one, am super excited about the Kelsey brothers having their own podcast. I feel like, I mean, not to bring it back to Taylor Swift, but like their podcast shot up to number one from Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey being together. But I think one of the things that I've seen grow is like, you know, YouTube now has an entire section for podcasts. 
more and more podcasts have their own Instagram. So podcasts have sort of become this like separate entity and they've really become like shows that from these shows, you know, blossom other things. I mean, you look at the sports world and I think once again, we've talked about this in other shows, like you have to look outside of our little wine bubble to really see what's going on. If you look at sports, you look at fashion, you look at beauty, like it's all going down in the podcasts and then it's exploding from there. So Barstool Sports with some of their spinoffs that have happened. I'm forgetting her name, like from her Call Her Daddy podcast. And now Alex Earl is under that umbrella. The podcast space continues to grow. And I think it's one of the few platforms that continues to grow with different ages. I think it's growing both North and South of where I am, which is 36. So I see more younger people coming in and I see older people coming in as well. So it, it is a platform that I think spans the decades in terms of who's listening and watching. There's just so much content that's consumed on social. And that's what Amanda was talking about earlier, right? We're capturing 45 minutes, an hour of great content. And as a marketer, the two things I would like to be able to do better is to get to a place where we're pushing that content out a little bit more effectively, but also working from a PR perspective to get other people to push that out. I mean, there's just been so many great podcast clips that end up on social that you know sort of create awareness for certain podcasts. And I think that if I'm going to be hard on us, that's an area of opportunity. We had that great Burt Kreischer moment. We had all these amazing moments. Kamal, the CEO of Hope Living, talking about Kevin Durant and wine, for example. And we probably didn't do a good enough job of seeding that out there because people want to consume it. People want to hear that. If they don't know it exists, you know, they're not going to be able to listen to it. You guys are in this space. What is your thought on the future of podcasting? Boy, I would love if there was more data about it. One of the things I think about it podcasts is that it, we know the gross data, but that we're, and especially for someone who's super into technology and data, like there's no reason why we couldn't have more information as long as with privacy laws and things like that. But like just a little bit more would be, I think we'd be very helpful to be able to tailor and really customize that content because it is diversifying quite a bit. Um, and there's a gajillion wine podcast, but there's only a handful of good ones. What's the other interesting is that there's not really a great way for the community who consume it to connect with each other. And that's why we're complementing through YouTube or Instagram or LinkedIn in our case has been pretty good for us as well because of the nature of our podcast. But um, it's really interesting to see all these podcasts on, especially on YouTube shorts in terms of the, uh, using those and seeing how much people are reposting them and doing things like that and making little clips. Because that little 30 to 90 second clip could be all you need for someone to discover your podcast and those things can have a life of their own. So I think that's super important to create that. I wish that some of these Spotify's and Apple Podcasts had more of a way to build their own community around that. And it's really just a player. I'll be curious to see if Spotify changes that in the next few years, especially, I think, I don't know who distributes your podcast. We use Megaphone as our distribution platform, but but Spotify bought Megaphone maybe two years ago. And so between Megaphone and Spotify, I would be curious to know if they're going to start releasing analytics anymore. You also, I think, interestingly, maybe you've seen this on your end as well, Spotify is increasingly grown in terms of the platform of choice. So it used to be just maybe like 10 to 15%. And I think it's up to almost 30% now for us. If you go on the Spotify app, you'll see there's a lot more features there. And not to disparage Apple, but there's a lot more features in terms of like the podcast listening experience, including like, it'll show you clips from the show. It'll show you some transcripts on there. So it does feel like it's evolving and updating because it (laughs) weirdly feels like behind the times. I'm not sure why, but... Hopefully that will change. So we do like to end every episode on a personal note. So we're curious for each of you, uh, what was the most memorable bottle you've had in the last year? And more importantly, who did you drink it with? AJ, you want to go first? 
Dude, mine's pretty badass. So, like, do you want me to go first or second? <laughs> go first. Go first. All right, cool. Super random experience. We partnered with Eleven Medicine Park for a Michelin Wine Club shipment. So we did an event, a private event at Eleven Medicine Park. And again, somehow Neil Patrick Harris ended up attending. So I was at a table with some folks from Michelin, Wine Access, Neil Patrick Harris. There was this unbelievable pairing. It was a bottle of Olga Raffo from the Loire Valley. You know, like they're vegan now. So like this manicured collard greens that had this like seaweed kind of flavor to it with like this like light broth on top of this like soft soy, like this like tofu. And it was just such a perfect pairing, like a red wine with what's like a very delicate dish just worked perfectly. So I thought that that was the best wine experience I've had in the past year. And it had nothing to do with Neil Patrick Harris, but you asked who was there. So he was there. (laughs) Big wine lover. Loves wine, that guy. All right, AJ, I'll see your love medicine park and I will raise you the Eiffel Tower. Of course. Of course. Yeah, this was pretty cool. So I went to, right after Aspen Food and Wine, I flew to Paris for World Lambrusco Day. And it's a long story as to why they were celebrating World Lambrusco Day in Paris, but... That's what I was curious on, but <laughs> okay, wrong. was the Eiffel Tower in Italy. But anyway, the Consorzio rented out basically the top two floors of the Eiffel Tower for World Lambrusco Day. And so we had started with this masterclass on the second floor, and then they rented out the Jules Verne restaurant and... Coincidentally, it's on June 21st, which is solstice. So we had the entire Jules Verne restaurant at the top of the Eiffel Tower, and we watched all of Paris on the longest day of the year, enjoying many glasses of Lambrusco, which is one of my favorite drinks or wines of beverages of choice. But I was actually with Filippo Bartolotta, who was on one of our episodes, and I would say that's probably been a big highlight for me was getting to see Paris on the longest day of the year with a glass of Lambrusco in my end. It's pretty good. Awesome. Those are two great experiences. And I'm glad you guys focused not just on the wine, but also what you had with it and who you're with or where you're at. It's great. And what's funny actually on that front is like maybe my best wine experience in the past year outside of that didn't even involve drinking wine. I was at Christum in Oregon. They're a semi-new winemaker. He's been there for a few years now. Daniel, who came from Literai, took us on a tour of all of their vineyards and really helped us understand how special the terroir was there. Like digging holes in the soil and showing how different it was. Just like, I'm not the most athletic dude. I could probably throw in a rock from one part of the vineyard to the other where the soil just looked completely different. And I think that when you see stuff like that, it gives you a total appreciation for what makes a region a region. You know, so that was a really special experience. Amanda and I are very well aware of giant holes in the ground. We are familiar. (laughs) (laughs) The quintessential Mendoza experience. (laughs) That's right. When you're at Sebastian Zaccardi, there's a lot of hole digging. It's terrifying and awesome at the same time. A passion around rocks. Oh my God. Well, we want to thank you all for sharing uh, how a podcast can help be a marketing tool for wine. And we appreciate all your insights and sharing everything you guys have learned from the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast. Thanks for having us, guys. What a fun meta experience. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.